0: Take your Bibles this morning, Matthew 28, well-known passage this morning, Matthew chapter 28, great commission. Uh, Let's talk about where we're going a little bit. Uh, We've kind of had three weeks now. This will be our third week of not being in a series, which for some of you, this might be the longest stretch you've ever been at Gospel Community without being in a series. Uh, That's cool. Here's my dilemma. Uh, We got two more weeks and then I'm out of town for two weeks. So I have a series. I'm pretty sure we're going to head this way. I think I know where we're going. And now it's like, do I start it and then put pause on it for two weeks? So it's probably not that big a deal. I should probably stop overthinking it and just let's dive in. Uh, But we'll see. We'll see what happens next week. Uh, What we're doing tonight is how to share your faith video series. What it's going to be a lot of is more. um, Can I just say on the practical side of things? Like here's how to lead a conversation that you're in to, to spiritual truth. So it's not necessarily going to give us some sort of biblical foundation of why you should share your faith or things like that as much as like literally just here's in practice how you can hear it in a conversation somebody talk about brokenness, and we can use that to turn it towards Jesus. Okay, so with that being said, I want to park here this morning in Matthew 28, leading us to this idea of why we should share our faith, what Jesus tells us about sharing our faith, what it looks like, some of those ideas. So tonight, you're going to be more practical. Here's what it looks like in everyday life to be able to do that. This morning, more of the, here's what Jesus said, here's the model, here's these things. So with that being said, Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, "All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age." Okay, every time I read that passage, there's 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 a little phrase always jumps out. Right? Like no matter how many times it seems it's it's almost shocks me that it's still in there, right? Verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him, and here it is, but some were doubtful. Who is he talking about? Like, who is Matthew talking about? Well, verse 16, what does he say? The 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee. Okay, so so I'm not going to just say it was only the 11 who were standing there with Jesus. Right? Like, Matthew doesn't say there's any more, but just from the context of the Gospels, it seems like Jesus always had more than just the 11. Like there's always somebody else, whether uh, one of the Marys or somebody else would have been around in the group. Like, okay, seems like there's always more than 11. But Matthew seems to specifically say, here's the 11. And then verse 17, some were doubtful. So I'm going to not just say that this was some bystander who happened to be here following Jesus as well, but not part of the 11. I'm going to say that some in the 11 were sitting, standing, whatever it looked like, they're doubting. Like, how? So, so the question then is what? Is what are they doubting? Like, wh- uh, here's the 11. Maybe Matthew himself is writing this. Like, he's not claiming that he's going to be the one, but he's like, I know some were doubting. Why? Because it was me. Right? So, so where's their doubt coming from? Why would they be doubting? Okay? The text doesn't tell us, but let's talk about two different ideas. One idea that people want to talk about is they doubted Jesus himself. But I feel like we already covered that. So, so I don't think, per se, that's what, not, I'm not going to land there. Right, I don't think they're doubting Jesus being the Messiah. Like he literally just rose from the grave. Like we covered that story with Thomas. I think Thomas was like, "Yeah, guys, I don't, I'm not in on that. I'm not sure this is really where we should be. I'm not sure this is what Jesus has done." And we kind of covered that story. Okay, so I don't think it's that that he's doubting Jesus. I think that there's some who are doubting themselves. Like when Jesus says in Matthew four, "Come, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men." We think, "Hey, that's a cool little..." cool little phrase in that context come follow me says come do what i do so so come follow me we think you're might maybe the messiah we're going to overthrow rome together like yes sign me up now all of a sudden come follow me as i die for the glory of god and it's like i don't know if i can do this Like, Jesus, I could follow you to overthrow Rome. I could follow you to to make fun of some Pharisees once in a while. Like, I could follow you to do certain things, but following you to this point, I don't know if that's in me. Jesus hinted at what he was going to do throughout his ministry, his three years with the disciples. He talks about going to his father's house. He's going to leave. He's going to come back for them. Like, like all these hints, I wonder if they're starting to put it together. So I wonder if some of this doubt is like, Jesus, you can't leave yet. Like, Like, we're in desperate need of you. This idea of like turning this over to us, like, why would you do that? The word here, doubted, Jesus uses it in Matthew 14. Having a conversation with somebody, he says, You have little faith, why do you doubt? And so Jesus himself would use the same Greek word to describe somebody who has little faith. And so here's the 11 disciples who we look at as some foundation of the church. Like the the world is turned upside down by them and they're preaching their proclamation of the gospel and yet we get to this text and it says, here's the 11 who who doubted and we would probably be able to say had some level had little faith. Okay, so so what's interesting though is look back in verse 17. When they, the 11, saw Jesus, what did they do first? It says that they worshiped him. Growing up, the culture of Christianity that I was a part of, this was not part of it. Like, like this was not, part. if you said, hey, I'm struggling with my faith, and you said that Sunday morning during worship, it'd be like, what are you doing here? Like this worship service is for those who got it all put together, like Christianity's perfect, everything's neat and tidy, like pick a hard passage, we know how to explain that, like there's no doubt. And yet what do we find in this text? We find that they are worshiping him, and yet at the same level, they're struggling with some sort of lack of faith. Like, I don't, God, I don't know if I can do this. Jesus, I don't know if I can follow you. I, I, I don't know what's happening, but I know you're God, and so I'm here to worship you, and it's broken, and it's probably somewhat messy, and, 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 get, and there it is. Okay, so how do we respond? Like, how does Jesus respond to this? Right, if, if I'm in the shoes, Jesus knows, right? Let's just make that clear. Jesus knows they're doubting, okay? One, he's been with them for three years, almost every day. Like, he knows them. Throughout the Gospels, it's not too hard to, to wonder what they're thinking, right, especially Peter, he just kind of tells us, right, so, so I don't think it's going to be hard for him to know that, that they were full of doubt or lack of faith, however you want to word that, also, secondly, he's God, he knows, right, so here's, here's a group of men that he spent three years with, and here they are, this moment when he's like, all right, I'm going to hand it all over to you guys for you to go build the kingdom, and you're full of doubt, you have some sort of lack of faith, like, right? those things, like, like, if that was me, all right, boys, pull out your test- the Old Testament, your Bible, let's go. Get comfy. We're going we're to walk through all of this again. Right? He doesn't do that. In fact, it's what? 12 words in English? He doesn't, he doesn't say, Peter, you have the gift of boldness. Like, you got this. He doesn't say to, to Matthew, like, hey, you were really good at collecting taxes. You're going to be really good at building the kingdom. Like, he doesn't try to build up their self-esteem somehow. He says, I know you got doubt. So then he gets to verse 18, and this is what he says to them. All authority, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Right? Like, like, you're not doing this in your own authority. Like, what I'm about to command you to do, what I'm about to tell you to go and do, is not something that you're going to do in your own strength. It's not something you're going to do in your own power. It's not something that you're going to do by yourself. Like, verse 18, he's saying, you're going to do this, and I'm the one who's, who's commanding you to do it, but, but I'm, I'm the one with all authority. I'm the one with all power. I'm the one who has conquered life and death and sin, and I'm the one who's going to send you out. And so he doesn't come to them and say, hey, you're doubting. Let me give you this theological uh, thing about why doubt's bad. And sin-. Like, no, he says, look at me. Man, when we're looking at ourselves, what is there? There's always doubt. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. Like, literally, that is true. It's not like, oh, someone build me up. Like, it isn't. I am incapable of following Jesus in my own power. But verse 18, what does Jesus say? He says, all, all authority, all power has been given to me. Like, I don't have to do it in my own strength. i got to do it in his strength. Okay, verse nineteen. I don't want to mess up anybody's thought of this passage, but I might. Not necessarily apologizing, but just heads up. Verse nineteen says, "Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations." Missions conferences growing up, even in adulthood, that I've been to, "Go" was like the big word, right? I, there was a missions conference one year that all said, like big banner said, "Go" with an exclamation point. Like that was it. Go right, go. And then the phrase, which, which again. Just how I grew up. Uh, Some are called to go. Some are called to give. All are called to pray. Something to that effect. Okay, just, that's not what this word means. This word is not an imperative. It's not a command. There's a command coming in verse 19. Go is not it. I don't know enough about Greek, but it's some sort of present active participle, whatever, you know. Okay, what does all that mean? It means this. Verse 19, as you go, or you could say, as you go about your day. As you live your life, in your everyday life, that's what this word means. And, and so I feel like what we've done is we made it some command that you're supposed to go, and then end of verse 19, or middle of verse 19, which you get to in a little bit, to all the nations. So somehow we made the Great Commission only for overseas missionaries. And yet when Jesus says this to the 11, he says, In your everyday life, as you go about your day, Right, so this isn't a command like, like, hey, this doesn't apply to me, I'm not in Africa. This is, hey, this goes to every single person that would be a follower of Jesus. And some of us maybe right now are like, whew, we just prayed for Nepal this morning, the gospel would go forth there. Now we're preaching Matthew 28, like, I hope Bart doesn't ask me to move to Nepal. Right? I don't know if I can deal with cold and, and whatever else is in Nepal. That's all I know that's in Nepal is mountains and cold. Uh, like, I don't know if I could live that life. Right? That's not the point. The point here of go is what? As you go about your day. So he says, in your, in your everyday life, as you go about what you do, what does he say in verse 19? Here's the, here's the command, here's the imperative, make disciples. So, so your everyday life, it's not like, okay, again, like we'll talk about some of that stuff tonight and, and how to share your faith, but like what's the picture? The picture is as I go and the people I interact with and the friends and the family and the neighbors and the coworkers who need Jesus, I'm going to go and I'm going to take Jesus with me. I'm going to make disciples of those people. This word disciple, we've already seen once in this passage, verse 16, but the 11 disciples, that's the noun form. So when you get to verse 19, it's like, you disciples, go make more of you, right? Like, that's the idea. It's the same word. One's a noun form, one's in a verb form, and it's like, disciples, go, go do more of this. So you 11, next year, will hopefully have more than 11 of you, right? Hopefully next week. Uh, we know Pentecost is coming, like 3,000 is coming pretty quick. Like, but here's this picture, like you're going to go do more of what we've done. Okay, so what does that mean? It means that every disciple, in some turn, some level, is called to go make more disciples. We'll get to some of that more in just a second. Look at what he says there. We're going to go, therefore, make disciples of what? Of all the nations. Joel talked about this in discussion group, how I sometimes get frustrated with words here's here's one nations we think countries we think flags we think of a map this really means ethnicities or people groups and so so what's what is he saying he's saying you're going to make disciples of all the nations so with that being said do we want to send people to Nepal to the 258 people groups that don't have access to the gospel yes we do that would be that would be Using this verse, applying this verse, we're going to make disciples of all the nations. And yet, we also live in a place that's a melting pot where it's like, hey, we're going to make disciples of all the people groups in, in, our, in our hometown. Right? It's real easy to say, I'm only going to share the gospel with somebody that looks like me, smells like me, walks like me, has some sort of income like me, drives a car. Like whatever, whatever we define us as, it's real easy to hey, that person looks like me. Let's, let's share the gospel with him. And yet, Jesus is saying, no, 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 this gospel is for everyone, so we're going to go make disciples of all people. But but there is a time when we actually take that too far. In that, I know of churches that's like, hey, we're going to make disciples of all the nations, and all their money is going somewhere far away, and none of the money is going to reach the people in their own neighborhood. So this isn't saying, if someone looks like you and smells like you and walks like you and goes the same type of job you do, that you don't share the gospel with them because they're not part of all. No, they're part of all the nations. Like the picture is everybody's all part of the nations. So as you go in your everyday life and the people that you would interact with, Jesus says, We're going to make disciples of them. Doesn't matter what their background is. Doesn't matter what their income level is. Doesn't matter if they're homeless or they have the best house in town. What are we going to do? We're going to try and make disciples of all the nations. What do we do with them? Okay, we make disciples, and then what do we do? Baptize them? Like, here's this picture of them being a follower of Jesus with Jesus' as death, burial, and resurrection. Like, they're going to become followers of him. They're going, to, they're going to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20 teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Can can we just say, verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. American church today. I think it's really easy for us to think of a church that's not doing this. Right? Just not even a specific church, Just, just a style of church, however you want to word that, that's like, hey, they're not teaching all that God commanded. Right? They, they skip passages, they skip whole books of the Bible, whatever you want to say about that, like that's cool. And yet, I also want to guard against the other side. There are churches in, in our culture today that will teach a whole lot extra than what Jesus ever commanded us. So, so if you walk in here and you're being discipled, I hope you are never told how you're supposed to vote. Like That's not what Jesus commanded us. In fact, he commanded us to submit to all forms of government knowing they're ordained by God. Let's park there where Jesus commanded us, and let's not park on something about you should vote this certain way or this certain party. Right, when someone walks in, like Jesus, I'm not saying this is in the Bible, okay? understand, it's in the Bible. But when someone walks in and they dress in a way that we maybe not say is appropriate, I feel like so we're so quick to teach that. Hey, here's what dress, or here's what this standard, here's what, oh, you shouldn't say that word. And we're so quick to say that, and instead, look at the life of Jesus. Like, like go through the Sermon on the Mount. How much of that is spent on outward appearance of dress and what words you say and how many tattoos you have? And yet I feel like we can go to the church where it's like, hey, here's all these churches that don't teach the whole Bible. How evil are they? And yet I feel like there's also the temptation to go too far the other way. I mean, you've added so much to Jesus. And not only have you added to Jesus, but, but at some level you've made it look real bad. Like Jesus is beautiful and the gospel is wonderful and you've turned it into some sort of religion that's not beautiful and amazing and and wonderful like him. And so what do we want to do? We want to teach them, teach these people that we're making disciples to what? To observe all that I commanded you. What does that mean? It means I need to be growing in the word personally, right? Like I can only teach somebody things I already know. I can't go teach you something about quantum physics. I don't even know what that means, right? Like I don't even know, I don't even know like Physics 101 like i don't even know what that would look like right I, I can't teach that class i can't i can't even tell you what's involved in that right so so what does that mean it means for us like what do we want to be we want to be people of the word we want to know the word we want to spend time in the gospel so that we might know jesus we might know what he commanded us why so that we might go command so we might tell others to, to listen to his commands too right like like that's the goal the goal is to be in the text what does that mean it means i've never arrived I've never got to the point where it's like, hey, I say, hey, I know enough about Jesus. I know enough about his word. We're good. No, we're always learning. We're always growing. Why? Because there's always somebody else that we need to make a disciple of. There's always someone else that God's going to bring into our life that we might uh, interact with and, and, and make disciples of. Okay, so, so just recognize, though. Like, just realize what Jesus is saying here. Verse 16. Here's 11 men. Fishermen. Tax collector. A zealot. A guy who wanted to kill all the room. Let's go down a little bit of history. A uh, little bit of history. Most of the Jewish people in this time, kids, would go to a school. Uh, if you were the best of the best, like not 1%, what is it even, like half a percent. You, were, you got moved on to like go down the pharisaical route and the be part of temple stuff. Like you got moved on to like be a part of the religion, if you will. So, so here's 11 men who failed. They failed their religious class. They weren't good enough to go be the Pharisees and go be the other things and the other, whatever, religious up ups And Jesus takes them. And he takes this 11, and he says, hey, guys, here's what I'm going to do. I have all power. I have all authority. I'm, I'm, I'm going to command you in that power and authority to go out and make disciples of all nations. And he says, you're going to do it how I did it. Looking at the life of Jesus, how did he make disciples? More often than not, he made disciples one-on-one. More often than not, it's the woman at the well. It's, it's Nicodemus. It's, it's different stories of, of these men and women that he would meet with one-on-one and have conversations with. Like the crowds, what had happened with the crowds? He preached the feeding of the 5,000. What happened with them? They left mad. Don't read John 6. It wasn't this great revival. More often than not, the disciple-making happened one-on-one. So in our minds, here's 11 men standing before Jesus, and Jesus says, I'm going to send you out to go make disciples. And in my mind, at least, it's like, I don't know if this is going to work. Like, you're leaving your, your kingdom in the hands of 11 men who, nicely speaking, failed out of religious studies. Who are fishermen. Who some guy thinks that they are still teenagers. Like, that's who you're leaving your kingdom with? Like, no wonder, verse 17 says, some were doubtful. But let me share this. If you've, if you've been in Gospel Community for any length of time, you've, you've heard this illustration... So, you know the answer. Just bear with me. i got to find the right page, though, because I don't have it memorized. Here we go. If I were to offer you this morning $10 million, which I'm not, uh, but $10 million is on this piano, and there's a penny on that piano. And I said, all right, take your pick. Some of you are like, oh, we're, we're like in church right now. i got to be spiritual. Mo-. No, we're all taking $10 million. Right? No one's like, mm, well, taxes are going to be. Th-. Like, no, we're not. We're just taking the $10 million. Okay, but then if we said, hey, on this table, the penny's going to double every day for a year. And you're like, okay, let's do the math. Today I get one cent, tomorrow I get two cents, the next day I get four cents, right? So, so you're, you get about to, what, 32 cents, and then math gets hard, and you're like, what's next? Uh, <laughs> right, all right, we're taking $10 million, right? We're done. Day 30, roughly, how you ever, you know, however you want to start that. Day 30, five million bucks, which means day 31 is 10 million dollars. So if you could say no to $10 million, knowing that in day 31 you have $10 million, like, cool, because day 32 is that doubling. So day 32 is $20 million. So all of a sudden, the $10 million, let's not be greedy, like $10 million would be enough, but all of a sudden, $10 million isn't that cool. I just, if I just wait 32 days, I get double that? Day 64. Day 32 is 20 million. So day 64 in our mind would be 40 million, right? You double 32, you double 20. No, no, no. Because 40 million is, is what? That's day 33. So, so day 64 is a number I don't even know how to pronounce really, 184 quadrillion. Just for a context, that's November 6th of this year from today. So so if you would say, hey, here's here's 11 men who would go share this, share their faith and make disciples, and they just did that once a year? Like, and 64 years, there are 184 quadrillion. Like, I know the math isn't the same there, but, like, that's the idea. Right? So let's just let's just work this out in the context of our life. Let's just say 10 people, gospel community, say, hey, I'm going to share my faith. And I understand we can only share the faith. We can't get somebody saved. We can't force them into church. Like, I'm not saying any of those things. But, but if this just were to work out, and 10 of us said, hey, this is what we're going to do. Okay, so this year there's 10, next year there's 20, then 40, then 80, then 160, then 320, then 640, then 1,280, 2,560, 5,120, 10,240. That 10,000 is 11 years from now. 20, I don't know, 34. This group of 10 reached 10,000. I didn't write it down, but I think year 17, we reached all of Sarasota County. Right? And so all of a sudden it's like, hey, Jesus, I don't know if this weighs really good. Right? Like, like, wouldn't it be better to f- pack out the auditoriums, to give away Jesus merch, to have a sandal giveaway, like whatever that's going to look like, draw huge crowds? Like, wouldn't that be a better uh, model than, than to say, hey, here's 11 men, go make 11 more of you and just keep replicating that forever and ever? And yet, I would, I would say, man, for us in 10 years from now to have 10,000 people that we've reached and share the gospel with. How mind-blowing would that be? How amazing would that be? And and again, like for some of us right now, it's like, man, if I were to share my faith like that, man, I, I don't even know if the words could come out of my mouth. So for some of you in your workplace, it's like, man, I tried one time and it epically failed. Okay, that's fine. But we're gonna try again. Right? We got the greatest news in the history of the universe about a risen Savior who came to forgive our sins and to deliver us from, from hell and evil and all this stuff. Like, okay, let's go, let's go try again. And so tonight, what are we going to do? Is just practically, here's what that might look like. Here's what it might look like to be able to turn a conversation towards Jesus. Here's what it might look like. And it's not going to be, it's not going to be hard. It's not going to be deep. It's not going to be like, man, quantum physics would be way easier than this. Like, no, no, no. This is, this is real simple to follow. But it's this idea of like, let's, let's put it in our mind. Let's put it in our, in our thoughts. So when the opportunity arises, we're not with our brains fried trying to figure out what we're going to say. Right? We, want, we want to prepare. If we're going to make disciples, if God's called us to do that, which he has in our everyday life, then, then let's at least attempt to, to do that. And so hopefully tonight is just another tool that we can do to, to get us going that direction. Look at verse 20, though. We're not done. Okay? We're going to teach them. What are we going to teach them? We're going to teach them to do all the things that Jesus commanded us. We're going to teach them the Bible. We're going to teach them the Word of God. Okay? All those things. And, and yet we understand in verse 17 that some of us are still doubting. Right? Some of us are still wondering, Jesus is the best plan. Some of us are wondering, Jesus, are you sure you meant to pick me? Of all the people on the planet, God, I don't know why I'm the one that's here right now. Right? There's doubt. What does he say? Knowing there's doubt, he starts with all authority. Like, you don't have to go in your own power. You don't go in your own strength. Like I'm sending you out with all authority. And how does he end the passage? How does he end this great commission? He says, Lo, I am with you always. Even in the end of the age. Like, I don't, I don't know. For me, this is mind-blowing. Because if you go back to Exodus, and, and Moses would say there in Exodus, like, God, send someone else. God, don't send me. Like, like, I'm not the guy for the job. And what is God's response to Moses? He says, I will be with you, and I will be with your mouth. You get to Joshua, and Joshua is now going to take over the people as they go into the Promised Land. What does God say to Joshua? He says, I will be with you. You can go through the Old Testament. There's over and over, you see times of different prophets, the different people of God in the Old Testament where they're not quite sure if they're, they're the person for the job. They're not quite sure if I'm the one that should lead Israel at this moment. They're not quite sure if I'm the one who should step up and say this message. And over and over again, God's response seems to be pretty much the same. I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. So in my mind, what does that mean? It means the same God that promised Moses, I will be with you before you stand, as you stand before Pharaoh, and as you walk through the Red Sea, and as you eat manna every morning. You walk through the wilderness. The same God that says to Joshua, like you're going to go conquer people groups and you're going to move into the promised land is the same God that says in verse 20, I will be with you. Like what else do we need? And again, he doesn't say, hey, you're going to to take this class. You're going to learn how to have public speaking ability. and You're going to do that. He doesn't say that. He says you have all that you need. And who is all that you need? It is me. I'm going with you. Sometimes I wonder, like, and I'm in this boat. I'm not just saying this to other people. Like to me, sometimes I wonder the Christian life. It just seems um, ah, boring. I don't know if that's the right word, but like mundane, and and it's like, man, the 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 power of God doesn't always seem to be present. It's like He promised to be with us in the in the what in the going of our life to go and make disciples. And so I wonder if we were to live out Matthew 28, 19 through 20 a little bit more, if we were to go out and make more disciples, I wonder if we would experience at some level more of his presence in our life. Like I wonder if it would be like, man, the power of God is at work because I've seen it in this person's life, in this person's life, in this person's life. Like maybe they're not saved, maybe they didn't make a profession of faith, but but I see God working in them. I see God moving in them. I see God drawing them them to himself. Like I I see something and man, it's exciting and and it's awesome. The power of God's at work. There are times when I pray with my kids, pray at, at dinner. This is no knock on Casey. She's a great cook. But it's like you pray with your kids and you're about to eat like a cheeseburger. It's like, bless this food or our body. I don't, I don't even know what's in this thing. Like, is this even real meat? Like, what are we eating right now? No knock on Casey. Right? But it's like, and, and that becomes our prayer life. And I just wonder, like, man, if our, if our Christian life is just pray before we eat and read our Bible, I mean, those are good things but god's called us to do something more and so again tonight what's what's the goal the goal is hopefully help us take the next step it might not be life-changing it might not even be that good we may never use this series ever again but we just got to start somewhere and so tonight that's the goal is to start somewhere and be able to start these conversations and lord willing be able to come back a year from now and say hey here's that 10 here's that 15 here's that 20 that said hey we're gonna share the gospel and that turned into that turned into 40 that turned into to a number that we couldn't even imagine that God would do. But it starts with us. It starts with us going and do the work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, you are wise. You are omniscient. You know how to build your kingdom. And it seems crazy to us that you would build your kingdom with 11 men who would go out and, and turn the world upside down. And just as crazy, it seems like you'd be calling us in this room to go out in our everyday life into Sarasota and to Bradenton and at some level to turn this world upside down. God, we know we can't do it. Like, we know if we look at our abilities and we look at our strengths and we look at, like, our personalities or whatever, like, God, we can't do it. If we go and do it in our own power, we're going to doubt because we really Are unable to see this happen. So, God, help us to get our eyes off of ourselves. Help us put our eyes on you, the one who has all authority, the one who is the power over life and death, the one who would raise himself from the dead. Jesus, we thank you that you are with us. We thank you that you're not sending us on a mission that you will not also go with us on. And so, as we go forward and as we try to share the gospel, this week, this month. Jesus, we thank you for your presence. We pray that that would be uh, in our minds as we go. That we are not doing this alone. Jesus, you've never commanded us to do something that you have not already done. You have shown us in your word how to make disciples. You've modeled that for us with with your own 12 disciples. Help us to be in your word. Help us to study. Help us to know. Give us boldness. Give us opportunities. Help us to go forth and share the good news. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen.